0: Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. Okay, welcome to Cosmic Eye. I am your host, Jason Napolitano, and I have, as usual with me, my uh, co-host, Chris Sheridan. And we're excited today because we're talking about Chris's book, the Spirit in the Sky, A Fall of Icarus, The Rise of Phoenix, and Odyssey of the Soul, uh, a memoir. That's a mouthful. That's a great title. Yes. All right. I am going to read the back because I love the, the copy that's on the back of this book. So I'll just start with that, and then we'll, we'll get into speaking a little bit about your book, and, and you can introduce yourself and so forth. So after surviving a plane crash and adjusting to life in a wheelchair, Chris Sheridan never revealed exa- what exactly happened in the cockpit that day. Until now, follow along on an epic journey of ups and downs, twists and turns, still coming full circle and face to face with the spirit in the sky. It took 25 seconds to fall from the sky and 25 years to figure out why. Great stuff. All right, All right so Chris, please introduce yourself and a little bit about the book and uh, tell people where they can fit it and so forth, and we will get started.
1: Oh, sounds good. All right, I am Chris Sheridan, as you said, and... Uh, About 27 years ago, I was involved in a plane crash. I was a pilot. I was flying at an air show, and I crashed. And in between the time I called a matey on the radio and the plane hit the ground, I had really an incredible spiritual experience that I've been reluctant to talk about all this time. And uh, writing this book is sort of my way of revealing and releasing uh, what I've kept hidden for so long now uh the crash left me in a wheelchair so i've been talking about the plane crash for <laughs> this whole time and i had made a short film years ago uh, about it a personal documentary and i talk about one aspect of the spiritual experience and encounter that i had but for the most part i've kept that pretty much to myself and uh, and this book is about that well you talk about actually that uh that uh, short film that you
0: made uh, in the book a little bit and I've, I've seen it and it's, it's fantastic. Why don't you tell the listeners who might not be familiar a little bit about that project? It's a fantastic
1: check out even.
0: Uh, It's a great film.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it was called walk this way and I made it in 97. So this was about between five and six years after the time that I broke my back. So I had, You know, plenty of time to recover. You know, physically, I was adjusted uh, to being in a wheelchair and socially, and it was a look back, maybe, or just how I got to this point um, from the crash—the point at which I I made the movie then. Uh, And uh, it—it was a student film, but it really also had a life in the film festival circuit. Uh, Won a number of awards at the Heartland Film Festival and the Sedona Film Festival, and. Uh, it also won a Student Academy Award uh, in 1997. So it got a lot of attention and um, and it is up on YouTube. Uh, it might be easier to get the link to it from my website, chrissheridan.com. And it was a direct link to the the video of the uh, 16 millimeter film. Um, but that was uh, yep. one sort of telling of, of my story. Um, okay. It's a short 12 minute film. And then now I have... Uh, a two hundred page book uh, that carries up until and through the point to where I made that film, but also what's happened in, say, the twenty plus years since I made Walk This Way. That's great. And um, having
0: read the book and and seen seen your film, they're both fantastic. They both work together really well. They they tell about different aspects I think of of your journey in in ways, and that's nice. They're they're complementary. The book is, is interesting because I think one of the themes and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the themes that I got out of it is that it was difficult for you to, to be able to share this experience with people for various reasons. Um, and I think that that's kind of one of the, the themes that you kind of keep, keep going back to in the film is how, excuse me, not the film in the book of how you struggled with, with that vision and even more, you, you, you struggled with that, that vision and sharing what happened to you uh, in, inside the plane probably more than you struggled with your actual uh, disability. Would you say that that's true? Well, it is, and it's on... In some ways. I mean, I yes, don't want to it... grossly
1: simplify, but... Uh, well, yeah, but, but in a way, it is that simple that uh, at least the full account, all the details, exactly what happened in the plane was so fantastic. So otherworldly, uh, it wasn't an out of body experience. I was very much in my body. Uh, it wasn't a near death experience. I was nowhere near death. I was fully alive. It was more opposite. I would almost compare it to, uh, say like an alien abduction case or something like that, where there's really good reason for you not to talk about it. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. because it's not very believable. Uh, but sure. I also never really had the chance to, because, um, first of all, you know, surviving any kind of major trauma and being able to continue living is is uh, quite an amazing story. Uh, ask anybody in a wheelchair who survived a spinal cord injury. I'm sure they have a tale of survival. Uh, every single one of them. Uh, and also, when I would answer the question, "Well, what happened? Was it a motorcycle, a car crash? You know what?" I said, "Well, you know, it was a plane crash." And they're like, "Oh, a plane crash? Oh, and you lived?" I'm like, "God, yes. oh, that's great." so yeah, it's that's like the, that's, that's the already party, amazing that's the party winner isn't yeah. it yeah that's fantastic enough uh, so why would I gild a lily you know why why would I try to embellish um, even if it's true and it is <laughs> what happened uh, there just there just wasn't any room for it or time for it and uh-huh. sure and I felt it was a very personal thing and and in the film I talked about you know like I said one aspect of it where I heard a, mm-hmm. a, a voice um, and I've And I've shared that, you know, certainly with the film and on other levels, but um, in one sense, it was very personal to me. So I didn't uh, really feel like I needed to share it or maybe in sharing it, I might mm, kind of lessen the the personal effect that was almost a private thing. But really what's driven my reluctance has been the actual content of the experience, like what what was the vision that i saw what were the words uh, directing me towards what was this vision of of my future that uh, i also saw in the uh, in the sky in the plane crash and that has been not only hard for me to share with other people it's been for the longest time very difficult for me to accept just personally i accepted the fact that i was in a wheelchair i mean you Mm kind of have to because it's it's so overt and so physical so obvious there's no no getting away from that one is there we can't really hide it i mean you could hide out and just spend you know your time online and and never you know no one would ever know you're in a wheelchair or something that's fine too but uh if that's the case but it was something that i just really um just had a hard time wrapping my head around because it was a direct message given to me, uh, about my life. And it wasn't, it wasn't the message I wanted. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it, it, certainly at the time. Um, it wasn't, uh, but having well, let now me, let me stop you quickly
0: because I want, I want to cover the vision, uh, you know, in more detail a little bit down the, down the line when we, when we speak, but let's get back to the idea of, of how, um, how you've kind of repressed this part of yourself and how you, you know, it's taken you so long to reveal this. Let me ask you this, then, uh, why now and how were you able to finish this book now and what, what changed for you that um, that made it possible for you to, to finish this great, great book and to, to share it with people so that they can find uh, some, some lessons in it for themselves as well.
1: Well, I think it was just time. Uh, I had waited long enough. And in my, I guess, defense, if I will, uh, when I made Walk This Way 22 years ago, it was really, that was the, the telling of my story. I had actually, for a long time after that, felt that, oh, I had already told my story. Look, here's the film. Because that was my story up until that point. Not all of it, but Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, covered uh, the crash and the injury and adjusting the life in the wheelchair and using humor to cope and things like that. Um, but as it as time went on, I knew there was more to it and I was getting further away from uh, the film. And it's like, OK. If, uh, and I just didn't want to be a one trick pony. I didn't want to be, oh, that's the guy in the wheelchair who broke his back in a plane crash like that's I didn't want that to define me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't yeah, know. I, know, I understand ability. And I'm, I put myself out there in the world as a matter of fact, for, for decades, the uh, most of the time I would go to a place and I would be the only person in a wheelchair, uh, you know, 95% of the time, unless it was a public event, like a concert or car race, you know, or something where there's a mm-hmm. handicap seating area sure. uh, for the most part, it was just, I'm just, I was always the odd man out, but I thought I was putting myself out there in the world being the guy in the wheelchair and not afraid to, you know, handle social interactions or going out or traveling or flying or whatever it is that, that I'm doing. I've always sort of been that example. So I've very easily um, been willing to share myself and answer any question. I'm very open. If people don't uh, feel comfortable asking something and they're like hesitating, Oh yeah, go ahead. You can ask her. Yeah, I'll make it easy for you. You don't break the ice. Yeah. But, I also didn't want that. I wasn't envisioning myself as like a disability advocate. And, you know, yes, I'm in a wheelchair. And I'm all about wheelchairs and all about people that are in wheelchairs. Although I have done advocacy and outreach and um, counseling and and things like that since. Mm -hmm. um, I felt my life would be more just out there in the world. And I would be, uh, whether it's a filmmaker or a rock musician, which I am, uh or a scholar or something some function a father a husband you know um who happens to be in a wheelchair i always wanted so you didn't want to be the the
0: you you wanted to kind of lead by example not by necessarily your your words and your platform is that is that fair to say well yeah i didn't want it to be all
1: about the wheelchair because my life isn't all about the wheelchair. Sure, yes, I'm in sure. a wheelchair every day, and and you know most of my waking hours, unless I'm driving or sitting on a couch, I'm I'm in my wheelchair, and it's been that yeah. way for over 25 years. Um, but but that's not what my life is about. It has nothing to do with personal relationships or you know what kind of food I like or what my career sure, ambitions exactly. are. Um, you know, I play guitar in, in rock bands. I've I've played before I hurt my back, and I've played yeah. since, and it's I have to go about it in a little different way, but. Uh, but you know I still play but you don't want it to define who
0: you are person entirely that makes that makes a lot of sense and I think that that
1: definitely uh speaks speaks volumes Um, it can be a novelty and um actually about um, maybe it was four years after my injury Christopher Reeve got injured Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: he really dominated headlines there really didn't need to be a a wheelchair guy in the gotcha. news because he was on you know barbara walters he was on daytime he was on you know just i don't know if you remember at the time i mean you know it was, it was a while back but no i do i was, do remember that it was exactly. the consciousness no. was flooded with you know spinal cord injury and wheelchair and yeah sort it was of like.
0: in the news at the time i do remember that he was carrying the banner so i felt that mm-hmm. you know i didn't need to do that sure uh, so it's a timing has a lot to do with how we how we want to present the different things that makes sense not to uh Not to cut you off, but I want to jump into this really quickly before we get into the vision and so on so that the listener has a kind of an understanding of what actually occurred. Can you just briefly outline, you know, what happened uh, before the not not the vision, but how how the crash uh, took place, what you know, what what you were involved with, you know, at the air show and so forth and, and kind of explain that that a little bit just very briefly.
1: Sure, uh, I was a relatively young pilot uh young in inexperience experience uh, at the time um, almost twenty seven years old I'd been flying a couple years uh, most of that time was spent uh, getting my license and uh, you know the flight trainings I'd kind of had to spread it out over time, but I was getting more hours and flying different planes and uh this was a ribbon cutting contest at an air show, and the air show was for planes and pilots of a specific type, and that's a Burt Rutan designed long-easy. There's some variants, uh, but they're home-built aircraft. They're very high-performance. Uh, they're made with a uh, foam core covered in fiberglass or carbon fiber nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a surfboard, so they're very light and very strong. uh very, very aerodynamic uh, compared to a general aviation plane like a Cessna or a okay. Piper. yeah. Uh, so sporty, so and sort of like efficient. a Corvette in a sense of, of 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 the flying world. Sure, definitely, definitely more performance and uh, and um, you know that, that type of uh, excitement. Okay. Uh, they're sport planes. They, you know, for sure. And um, so this uh, group of you know like pilots and their planes all flew into an airport in uh, Utah, in a place called Canab. And there were a few contests that morning. There was an air race. So I guess full-on uh, uh, total speed, your absolute speed. Uh, and then there was a spot landing contest where you land on the runway as close as you can to the, uh, the numbers painted on the, on the runway. And the third one was a ribbon-cutting contest, which the one I was involved with. Okay. And basically what happens is from another plane – um, a streamer is dropped out a- at a certain altitude, at 3,000 feet, and as it unfurls and makes its way down in this vertical streamer, like a ribbon, uh, you yes. have between 3,000 feet, and when it reaches 1,000 feet above the ground, uh, it's called the hard deck, that's a safety cutoff, uh, you basically make passes at it and hit it with your wing. It, now, it was made out of toilet paper, of all things, which... Okay. Um, Is absurd when you think about it, but it's also it also made sense because sure. uh, you know same length uh, for everybody because you everybody goes one at a time and each pilot gets their own ribbon to to cut. All right, so that uh, so it's
0: that's pretty matched. dangerous if I'm not mistaken. I am no pilot, but it, I mean it sounds yeah. like you're a young pilot. You're in a very maneuverable experimental quote unquote plane, and you're trying mm-hmm. to fly around and cut toilet paper flying through the air does I, I'm sound I'm, I'm hearing a bit of danger in that and which is which brings me to where you say <laughs> title of your of your book a fall of Icarus uh I, I, I I'm highlighting that and Icarus
1: for people who don't know is is who now he's 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 the Greek well in mythology um Icarus and his father Daedalus were imprisoned uh in a labyrinth maze on an island and there was no way for them to get out but Daedalus was a an inventor and he fashioned a set of wigs for him and his son both uh, made out of wax uh, and feathers so the feathers were attached to this wing contraption with um, with wax and they worked and they were able to leave and they were able to escape and kind of basically fly out of there mm-hmm. uh, but Daedalus warned his son before taking off said if you fly too low, the spray and mist from the sea will make the feathers all soggy and, you know, it'd be too heavy and you won't be able to fly and you'll crash. Or if you fly too high, the sun, you'll be too close to the sun and the sun will melt the wax and then the feathers will fall off and and that'll be a a problem too. So, uh, So they escaped and they left, but Icarus did not heed the warning of his father and he flew as high as he could. He was caught up in the ecstasy of flight and and crashed to his death below. Uh, so I make that parallel because I also did not heed the warnings and follow the rules of flight. Flying is a unique thing in itself because most other things, the faster you run and the higher you climb, it actually becomes more dangerous if you're running you know, or mm-hmm. if you're climbing a yeah. tree. Yeah. Um, faster and higher usually equates more danger um but in flying it's kind of the opposite if you have airspeed and say something goes wrong with your engine well then you can pull up and you can trade that airspeed for altitude yeah you can just climb up and then you can have more time to look down and try to find a suitable place to to make a landing uh, or fix the problem or whatever it is so airspeed is your friend you can trade it for altitude and i was going and not too low but i was definitely going too slow okay and that caused, uh, there was a couple other things that were kind of going wrong at the same time. And they all conspired to put the plane in a, a deep stall condition that is okay. very difficult to do in this type of a plane. But if yeah. you do, it's very difficult to get out of. And
0: so, that's where I found myself. Yeah. And, and you go into great detail of, of, of how all that takes place or took place in, in the book. And it's very, very fascinating. Um, the, uh, the thing I want to kind of jump ahead to, because I don't want to uh, spend too much time on on the, the details of, of all that, because it is fascinating stuff, but it's something that I think is 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 better read in the book. And I want to leave it to the to the listeners to to get your book and read, read, read it. Those um, those sections on that. But one of the important things I think that that you talked about and we were talking about earlier is the acceptance of that vision and I mean, what led up to that vision too, one of the things that i that really stuck out for me was, was the point at which you, you called mayday and you, you talk a great deal about that in the book. Can you explain a little bit about how that, that happened and, and what that mayday meant to you?
1: Well, I tried everything I could to get out of the deep stall condition. Once I knew, once I kind of realized what it was, I tried this, I tried that and it's like, oh my gosh, now I'm in a deep stall. That's that's what it is. Uh, there is a recovery procedure. I didn't have the altitude, and I tried to use it, but I knew it wasn't going to work. So it was really at that moment of realization that I am going to crash a plane. There's nothing I'm going to d- be able to do about it. Um, and then instinctively, I guess, I, my training kicked in, and I keyed the mic for uh, the distress call. You're supposed to say mayday three times. It's very specific um, why you do that. And usually it's when nothing else is, it's, it's like, here I am, come find me mm-hmm. <laughs> gotcha. supposed to give your location and, and everything. I didn't need that. I was an air show right over the airport. People were watching, um, but I did need to call a mayday. And I didn't realize it at the moment, but it, uh, years later, it, uh, it came to me, uh, several times that, oh my gosh, that was a complete and total surrender. It was waving the white flag. It was an admission, and it was over the radio. It was vocal, so I spoke it out into the ether, and other somebody else on the other uh, end of the mic heard it. Uh, so it was it was very definitive. Um, well, spiritually, that, okay. That's... I am mayday. I I'm done. Sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah,
0: and I and we've talked about this uh, many times, and I like the 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 sort of spiritual metaphor of that in that. Oftentimes we get overwhelmed in life with things, say we're addicted or we're, you know, in a terrible abusive relationship or whatever problem we're dealing with in our lives that we sometimes can't heal until we actually do surrender and call that that mayday. And you, you've, you've brought that up to me many times. And I think that that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, your mental way that you experience that applicable to people that are listening in that, you know, in our, in their lives, they might have things that are feel greater than their capacity to deal with. Like, like you had in the, in the plane crash. And that surrender is an important thing. It's that acceptance, isn't it?
1: That, that helps the healing. Would you agree? Well, it is. And it's also an admission of our own limitations. There's something very human and very humbling about it that on my own willpower and with my own resources, I am unable to solve this problem. That's basically what uh, a surrender does. And what that does is open you up to anything and everything else that's not you trying to solve this problem. Uh, It says, okay, I can't do this on my own. Uh, And it sounds like it's a defeat, but it is so empowering because it brings in these other forces. uh, we know this from, you know, religion, of course, a lot of, even the word Islam means to surrender to the will of Allah, the will of God, mm-hmm. surrender your personal will to God's will, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, we've heard that, uh, there's, uh, in the program of addiction recovery, uh, that's the very first step of the 12 steps, admitting you're powerless over alcohol and your life is unmanageable, uh, sounds really defeatist, but it is not, uh. I have an example from my brother who was a, you know, longtime scuba diver and would take people out swimming with dolphins and sea creatures and everything in the Bahamas. And he had a diver panic on him. And he, you know, this diver came to the surface and he's, I wrote about it in the book, he's flashing and splashing mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, he's going to drown them both. My brother didn't know what to do. So finally as a last resort, he grabbed this panic diver by the neck and punched him in the face and it's it stopped, They stunned him, and it I, stopped I him long enough. I, I yeah. shouldn't, but it, it is, it's a, you know, that's crazy. But that, but that's, this. it brings up another point. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, my brother then able to inflate his uh, vest, his buoyancy vest, and, and say both he, their it, lives. It caused but him to
0: have to surrender to the, to, to being saved. That, that he yes, needed, and, he, and he
1: needed to wake up and, and allow that to happen, didn't he? But he wasn't, yeah, because he wasn't allowing it. So he was fighting it. Makes it. He wonder, was fighting it. Yeah. How often do we stubbornly hold on to this notion that, nope, I've got this. I should do this. Nope, I'm going to figure this out. Well, I don't want to yeah. ask for help. Um, yeah. You know, it's. No, that's, that's a great point. It's a and phenomenon just, that we all go with. It, we all struggle pride with pride
0: involved or the ego or gets urgency. involved. Right. I mean, it's all those those things we want to solve it ourselves. And it's interesting, but I think it's so significant that you, you know, once you finally surrender and you do call the May Day, it's after that point that you, that you have the vision. And now we can really kind of get into that because that's, I wanted to set that up first for the listeners so they could understand the context of, of where this was headed. Um, and I wanna, I wanna just read the quote because I love your, your quotes. You have great quotes throughout the book and you have this one from William Blake from his poem, Heaven and Hell. If the doors of perception were cleansed, Everything would to man as it is infinite that's of course where the doors got their name by the way, and I'm a big doors fan but um that uh that sets up the that sets up the chapters to follow where you do t- where you talk about the the vision so let's get into that a bit and just kind of give me an overview um, you know we don't have to get into every single detail, but an overview of the vision, and we'll just talk about some of the bigger points in it, and you can share you know what what those mean to you and, and, and so forth. So go ahead with that.
1: Okay. Well, it all began immediately after I called the mayday on the radio. Uh, and at that time I, I really believed I was going to die. I had no sense or, you know, possible notion that I, I was going to survive this. I mean, I thought it was certain death. Uh, and, but as soon as I finished the mayday call, I noticed the cockpit just became all the dials and all the instruments started pulling themselves off the instrument panel and were expanding. And there were these dials and gauges and numbers and calibrating graphs. And just this whole series of phenomena just around me. And I was surrounded by this clockwork of, of um, coordinates. And I felt like I was going somewhere, but, I couldn't see where because it was completely clouding my vision, almost like when you're flying inside a cloud or something. I couldn't really see outside the airplane. All I saw were these grid lines and I was going somewhere and then they all stopped. And at that point, the void, the milky void cleared and I was immediately, I was out in outer space and I could see infinity. I could see the galaxy, it was in the shape of a galaxy uh, in the form of, but it wasn't just a galaxy. It was everything. And there was this infinity loop in a river of fire that represented time. And I knew intuitively right away that, oh, my God, this is the space-time continuum, something I'd read about in science and science fiction that's been a, a thing. And I have an astronomical and sort of mechanical mind um, in, in some ways that I think helped maybe influence uh, my vision. I got one that spoke within a language that I was familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. there were, but there were no angels or, you know, there wasn't a tunnel or a light or it was, it was nothing at all like that. This was incredibly intense. And I felt like I was really there. Like I really saw this thing and it was, it was the totality of life and everything that had ever happened or will happen in the future was all happening at once. <laughs> right. in this Can eternal I, Now it was amazing.
0: Yeah. Can I read a quick, uh, uh, paragraph that I really, really enjoy from the book. Um, uh sure. on page 30 i, I, I just I, I marked this out and i want i just want to give the the, the listener a, a kind of sense of of the right book because i love i love your writing i could see that the total total universe the entirety of eternity was composed of these individual points of light they were not only the contents of infinity but also the framework that held everything together as an indivisible unit these tiny dots these lifelines of humanity were completely interconnected by a thin glowing thread. Each and every one of them was absolutely necessary for the composition of the infinite. Remove a single one and the whole structure would collapse and cease to exist. And it sounds like what you're talking about there is like the Buddhist concept of interconnected uh, reality or interconnected existence in a sense. Um, that's a beautiful, yes, beautiful a, paragraph. Yes, or unity. Um, a total unity. You know, all okay. is one. One is yeah. all. Yeah,
1: and uh, that every single and the, the interconnectedness is. Yeah, just a beautiful. Way I've to read put about that. that in scriptures and spiritual texts, and but you, know, you saw hear it. about it. We're all one. Yeah. But I saw it and I felt it. I mean, it. I had an experience of it uh, that was as real as any other experience I've had.
0: Um, when you get, but that you know, has
1: been profound
0: yeah and it's you know what i like about it too is that you know i think what you're breaking down is is the barriers and the kind of um the the differences and it gets down to our universal essence as human beings it's you know beyond color beyond race beyond gender beyond this beyond that and and you have that great rumi quote in there where you say christian where he where rumi says christian jew muslim shaman zoroastrian stone ground mountain river each has a secret way of being with the mystery unique and not to be judged that's the totality that you that you experienced it sounds like
1: it is and it was presented to me in in this particular form maybe somebody else could have gotten the same thing out of a completely different vision or experience but this is the one um, the one that, that you I got. had.
0: Yeah. And this and paradox
1: of having there be billions of these separate points of light, you know, these stars in the galaxy that was sure. representing um, really aren't separate. Um, every single one of them uh, connected to each other and inter, yeah. interdependent. interdependent. But body. at the same time, there still is an identity of each single one. And I was able to even see my particular Space-time coordinate, my little dot of a wow. lifeline. Very cool. Uh, in that, so it's it's kind of a paradox uh, that it's unity and we're all one and we're all together, and at the same time, we're all uniquely individual, uh, but that's but never separate. So there's a distinction, but not you know a distant uh, or disconnect.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a great point. You know, I think it's uh, I always I think back to ma Rishi's uh, example of that when he talks about uh, in science of being uh, art of living I think it's called um, where he talks about the absolute and the relative you know the relative is the kind of world the day to day the differences and so on and the absolute is uh, is that universal that's below below the surface of everything uh, that holds it all together and and it's an interesting way to look at things and it, you know it's kind of like the relationship between you know newtonian physics and quantum physics like yes there is a world we live in where there are all these differences and seeming objects and and all of these different things and people and places and so on but then beneath it when you break it all down to its
1: essence it's all just
0: energy a universal energy or a universal spirit right
1: right and we have to balance um, both of them in our everyday worlds We kind of have to see things separately or it'll just be a big mush. Yeah, exactly. Um, But if we get too cut off from other people and other forces, uh, again, like calling a mayday, uh, we're really cutting ourselves short, selling ourselves short um, of what is out there. If it's just what you can see, think and feel, um, there is so much more. There are so many more forces human and otherwise sure uh that are that are available uh but it's it is a uh like say with quantum physics and nuclear uh or uh, newtonian physics when i'm driving on the freeway i I want all these objects to be separate i don't want them to connect (laughs) i want to (laughs) do all i can not separation
0: yes exactly
1: Exactly. But I want them all flowing in harmony, you know with the freeway, and we're all looking out for each other, we're all going in the same direction. So there's uh, you know at, at some point one becomes more important than the other. But I just think in our personal lives, if especially emotionally and spiritually, if deep down inside we feel lost or alone or disconnected, um, that's uh, that can be very dangerous. and yeah. By being in this aloneness in some odd way, you're actually closer to, because you can can feel alone in a crowd, but if you're Mm -hmm. really alone by yourself, whether it's out in the woods or even just in your room late at night, uh, in some strange sense, you're actually closer to it because all the noise and all the influences and conditioning of the world uh, really aren't hammering at you like they do most of the time when we're awake, even asleep, I'm sure. yeah that, um, well, you know, we lose, lose touch with that, but that might, that sometimes that's the best way to get in touch with it. Say if it's, if it's daytime and, and you sure. light a match or something, you know, no one's going to see it. The sun's out. It's so bright, but yeah. if it's pitch black and somebody lights a match, it's going to be, Whoa, it's a bright light, you know? So, yeah, exactly. And, but and I think about, even in, I'm sorry, go ahead. Like, oh, well, even in, um, the biblical scriptures, I think there's a point where in the New Testament, Jesus goes out into the desert uh, to be alone. Uh, and that's where he has some of these visions and uh, connections, uh, tempting with the devil and you know, with God and everything else. Uh, sometimes that aloneness actually can be a catalyst for that connection to something beyond yourself and yeah, not exactly. a way to just feel worse about yourself
0: exactly and we've been talking about that in the last uh, in the last podcast and we've been talking quite a bit about meditation with Manley hall's uh work uh meditation disciplines and personal integration we have two a two-part uh a two 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 parts that we examined in our last podcast and i definitely recommend people go back and listen to those is that i mean that's a lot like meditation you go into that that deep silence to 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 find uh to find your, your greater self and to try to try to get yourself um, in tune with that absolute part of yourself, not the, the relative and changeable part, but the, the universal and eternal part of yourself. And I think that's what maybe you experienced, um, in that, in that vision, it sounds like that you saw through, uh, some of the relative to the, to the universal, to the eternal aspects of, of life. Is that a, a fair description?
1: Yeah, I would, I would say so. In that, uh, Experience of of just seeing the space time continuum totality and infinity in front of me and feeling my not just seeing but feeling my part in it um, has been um, has been with me the whole time. I it's part of the vision I haven't really talked about too much because it kind of needs a lot of context and it, it it. you know, I don't know if that would help anybody, but I think the few times that I have shared it and some feedback I've gotten from the book is that that can be comforting for somebody knowing that, oh, my gosh, I had an experience with this interconnectivity. Yeah. Every single point of light in the universe. And we all need each other and we need each other connected uh, and we need each other's lights to be turned on, um, you know, for this whole thing to work. Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's some it's a Some people have found that comforting. Huge thing. And, yeah. Like, oh, my gosh, like we aren't alone, uh, almost like, if, you know, proof of extraterrestrial, you know, visitors or something that, oh, my sure. gosh, we're not alone in the universe. Yeah, uh, exactly. But we're not separate from each other. And yeah, that's serious. There's and no I, missing out.
0: I got, <laughs> you know? a, I got a lot of, of value out of that uh, from from reading the book. And you do need to um read the book to, to get the whole context of it. And obviously it goes much deeper into the vision than we're able to go into in our sure. 45 or 50 minutes here. But I think that gives uh the the listener a little bit of flavor of of what you experienced. I I, I want to encourage them to pick up your book, The Spirit in the Sky, because it's an important book and it's a very, very helpful book. Even though, you know, you tell the story in a pretty matter of fact way, the way that you lay it out is is very helpful and you're 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 right for me it 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 points out like these things of that that maybe i'm struggling with in my own life for example that i have trouble um accepting about myself or whatever or if i'm feeling lonely and not a part of the totality and stuff it kind of reminds you of those things and i think that that is one of the benefits that it will offer the readers to help them find uh acceptance for parts of themselves that they they might not accept and you talk about that in the book and that really quick we are that it's more for for the people who are in analysis with him to accept the gold accept the the beautiful parts of themselves than it was for them to accept the the bad parts of themselves they, they're much you know more more cognizant and will readily accept these negative qualities than they will the genius that they have within. And you, you actually use that, one of, those, uh, one of the quotes from Jung in your book talking about that. Can you, can you touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think the quote, uh, I don't have it in front of you, but I think it's uh, some of the effect that people will go to any length, um, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own souls. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly. And I think that's, um, you know, that's part of it is we don't know who we are. I think either we've lost sight of that. The world is too overbearing with distractions and all these things to be concerned with, um, you know, maybe as a race, as a species, <laughs> as a culture, a global culture. Uh, we've really forgotten what it means to be human. Uh, that we have, that we are so, first of all, we're not all that. You know, some people think, oh yeah, and this and all that. And like, no, we're not, we're not all that great. So there's a a humility to being (laughs) a human being. Yeah, Get over yourself. (laughs) But the other side of that is we are so much more. Yeah. It's an interesting Even if you are all that in the world, that's not all that important. (laughs) There's so much more to it. Than that, sure. and um, and I think that if if we can, you know, and again, like you're saying, in meditation, quiet moments uh, alone, yeah, exactly. uh, out in nature, um, if we can, in quiet, not only just the world around us, but our own head and the thoughts yeah. and the voices and everything rattling around in there, sure, uh, just long enough, I think we get this uh, window to the infinite, and so maybe connect- well,
0: you- what you're saying is maybe we don't have to crash in a plane to have that experience. Hopefully, <laughs> right? <laughs> so is, right. That, is that safe to say?
1: Well, sure. Uh, there, there are lots of ways to surrender. Um, yeah, exactly. There are lots of ways to um, kind of get yourself out of the way, so you can see and have a sense, yeah, really, that there's much more there, and maybe these things that are so troubling in the world. Uh, aren't that troubling. I I think we've all, if we've gone past high school years, we survived that long uh, and have enough time to kind of look back on that. We can remember how, for a lot of us, um, I I felt this in some ways myself, but I saw it in other people to a greater degree, is that those, at that time, those years were so important. If it's your first love, if it's this, Mm -hmm. if it's Oh my God, everything's so dramatic. And yeah, you know, your, your life is over if this didn't happen yeah. or, you yeah. know, you're so, because that's the world, you know, and by the time you're 18 and a senior in high school, you've, you've spent 12 plus years in the public school system. Sure, exactly. You're a long time veteran at that point. Um, yeah, it all and that's seems the culmination, the pinnacle. And it is. And we, True. But once you get past that, then you think, Oh, well, that was back in high school. But at that time, that was because that was your world. You didn't live in the world outside of yeah, that so much. Exactly. You weren't it's, voting and um, you know, legally drinking and you know, sure, doing all these other things, sure. uh, raising families or whatnot, at least most of us. So uh, I think we can learn from our own lives that, well, gosh, maybe that was. So if we can take that analogy and say, well, what's going on in my life right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in midlife and I've got this and I don't have that and I've got bills and student loans and, you know, how am I going to, it's think, okay, well, maybe I'm just in high school again and maybe there is a world outside of this one or beyond it, Yeah, outside, but beyond it and even our own personal power and our resources and what's available to us to use practically. I mean, practically and effectively, not some. Sure. Oh well, you know, the the love of God will be with us all throughout our days. That's nice, and I believe that to be true. Sure. But how about something that actually? How's that going to put food on the table? How's that? Sure. Going to- you know.
0: Yeah. There definitely needs to be a balance, and I think that's one good thing that the that the book does is that, you know, it, it it lays out you know this kind of huge. uh visionary experiences but then you, you also talk a lot about just your day-to-day struggles and stuff and how you overcame some of those challenges and so on and it's all like I said it's all in a very matter-of-fact way that you write it but it's very inspiring and I know oh, uh, you don't necessarily like that that word inspiring, <laughs> but unfortunately I'm gonna have to put that <laughs> okay. inspiring to me and to most of the people that meet you so thank you for that and thank you for this book. It's a fantastic book. And I highly, highly recommend that you purchase a copy. Uh, if you're listening, The Spirit in the Sky, it is it is fantastic. So just quickly wrapping up, because we're almost out of time. How uh, do you think that this mo- that this book might might help others? And how would you like it to affect them? I mean, real briefly, like a soundbite kind of thing so that mm-hmm. you know, we can give thing. somebody a takeaway. I don't want to put well, you on the spot. Uh, let know, me set this up and something. I'll give you your soundbite. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: uh, the book does cover, uh, you know, over 25 years. I mean, yeah. it is, it's not my life story because I had, you know, 27 years before the book started. Exactly. Um, of living. And I'm sure there's another memoir or two in there, but um, but it does cover a lot of uh, time and ground. Um, but what the central theme I believe uh, that I felt, you know, as I was writing it and, and now that a chance to look back on it uh, is that, well, and there's even that quote. Um, I guess I could uh, quote that that's in the uh, in the book uh, from the Gospel of Thomas. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Uh, that's a tribute to Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas, the yeah. uh, Nakamadi uh, lost gospel from the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. It was discovered in the late 40s. Um, and it's I think that is kind of what it is for me. I've kept this secret and sometimes they're good secrets, sometimes they're bad secrets. Um, but you're right that people have a tendency to sometimes deny you know, the good stuff more yeah. than the bad stuff and True. I kind of shove this down today. in yeah 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 and and even if it is quote bad stuff you know there's gold in there too where's where's the oil it's in the dirt and the muck deep in the i mean even oil is dirty or uh, yeah, even the gold i mean point. the gold and the diamonds are deep in they the all have dirt. to and they have it's to be dangerous polished and, and yeah dug out and there's so. a lot of work to be done sure um, absolutely. to get these things Uh, So we have a lot of gold. It just needs to be refined, needs to be recovered. Uh, I don't mean covered over again. I mean (laughs) uncovered um, and brought back out into the light. And that's what's happened with me. You know, that's been part of my journey is, uh, yes, I've shared about the plane crash and the wheelchair for years, for decades. But I've kept that very intense spiritual experience that I had um, from the world and from myself. But. Yeah. You can't do that forever. It rises up and I just could not go another year without revealing it. Even if people think, wow, that's, that's too fantastic or wow. It sounds like a made up story or you're just hallucinating because you're sure. in a trauma crisis situation or whatever. And I don't really care, but, um, because no, I know it what I, you know, exactly, but it's not doing me any good keeping it inside. So for anyone and everyone else that has you know, a dream or an experience. And a lot of times it can be coded in a yeah. quote bad experience. It can have that wrapping, but if you unwrap it, uh, there's really a gift inside uh, for other people. Find that, if you share gold. it but it's definitely with you within you. And that's the inner divinity or the infinite within that. We all have that. We all have that connection to the infinite within each and every one of us. And if we just calm our lives and our minds down long enough to actually hear that voice and get in tune with it and then bring that out. So this notion of enlightenment and seeking, yes, there's a world out there of things to discover, but there's also a world inside. And I think if we look there more often, uh, wholeheartedly might find some really fantastic stuff.
0: Beautiful, beautiful way to put it and very concisely put. Thank you. Thank you again, Chris, uh, for sharing, and thank you for having the guts to to share your vision and your experience, and thank you for pushing through to to, to finish this great book. Uh, again, yeah, well, you can. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, well,
1: thank you for um, for saying so and uh, and giving me this platform to uh, to talk about it. You got because it. I do want to get it out there, and after all these years of keeping it inside, now I'm it's like, it's time ah, to get I Gotta it out get it there. out. Gotta get it out. Exactly.
0: And people is. can find more about you at chrissheridan.com um we we talked a little bit about meditation and going within and so forth i have a book called if you can worry you can meditate and that's available at cosmiceye.org c-o-s-m-i-c-e-y-e.org and you can pick up my book there and chris's book at chrissheridan.com as i said uh, thank you again for sharing chris and uh All right. and we look forward to speaking to you again soon um Thanks for listening, everyone, to Cosmic Eye, and uh, we'll be here next Sunday with uh, some new great stuff, and uh, tune in for that. Have a great week, and God bless. Thank you for listening, and please join us next Sunday for a new episode of Cosmic Eye. You can purchase If You Can Worry You Can Meditate at Amazon.com or through our website, CosmicEye.org.